Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. And this is a special one-off bonus episode that I am recording with my wife, who is known online as at Joy O'Napping. Hello, Joy. Hello. I'm staring at you longingly as if across a courtroom. We are going to talk tonight about the series finale of Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episode 13, Saul Gone. This is just a one-off bonus episode. I used to podcast about Better Call Saul, and it's possible if you're listening to this podcast at Decoding TV, you might have enjoyed it at one point or another, that podcasting over at The Ones Who Knock. So it's a special bonus one-off about uh, Better Call Saul, the series, as well as the series finale. Uh, and we hope you enjoy. But uh, this is the kind of varied work you can expect on the Decoding TV feed moving forward. Uh, we hope you'll support us over at DecodingTV.com. All right, Joy, we just finished watching the finale minutes ago. And uh, let's start by talking about overall thoughts on the episode. What did you think? Did you think it was a good finale as finales go? I think so. I'm still processing some of what we saw, but I... I'm really moved by it. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of something great is it doesn't have to be pitch perfect in terms of plot or movements, um, but that there are things that stay with you. And one of the things that will stay with me is how I felt at the end of this. What about you? I thought it was pretty solid. You know, there's a, there's a handful of um, moments that didn't quite hit the way I thought they wanted them to hit. Um, but and, and there was some surprises about like a lot, char- of a lot of surprises as to characters who they brought back this episode, and so it was like hmm, like a lot of uh, interesting decisions were made. Uh, very very different in tone than the Breaking Bad finale, uh, and I think kind of the relatively understated nature compared to the rest of the series like accentuates the differences between this show and Breaking Bad. Overall, Do you think this was relatively understated? I mean, when you compare it to Breaking Bad's finale, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> But overall, I would say it was a successful finale. I thought it was pretty strong, um, pretty satisfying. Felt like the like uh, a meaningful place for these characters to end up, and um, I liked it at this moment. At this moment that we're talking, I liked it, and uh, I am looking forward to talking about it more. So yeah. Well, you know, I had the benefit or drawback of binging the series over I've, I've watched everything that i everything that i have of this series i've watched in the last few months you have been on this train for six years yeah so however many years it's been um i think you know in the sweep of it how do you feel about the show overall i think overall it's pretty good uh, you know it's interesting um like how far the show has come since the first season and how far the show has come since its original conception. It was originally supposed to be like a 30 minute comedy. Uh, and 
when the character was originally conceived, it was uh, a character who was supposed to a help Walt and Jesse out of legal, like with their legal issues and b provide comic relief for the show. And uh, what this series has done is imbue the character of Saul Goodman with so much of a dark history that like it it kind of changes how you view all of their interactions at Breaking Bad, right? Um, in a way that's like extremely dark. Now, did it need to be done? I don't think so necessarily, but I think that the result is a show, like a, a collection of shows, a Breaking Bad universe, a Heisenberg universe that is uh, more interesting and, and rich as a result of it. But um, as a standalone show, you know, I think I recall you saying at times over the years that you thought this show was like par excellence, has like almost peerless in some ways. And that might've been in certain moments. I don't know if you've like cooled on it a little bit because of the meandering final season. I still think it's excellent. I think that what has become clear in this final season is that this show, I don't think really can fully stand alone. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, Breaking Bad is a show that completely stands alone, right? This is a show where I feel like to to really get the maximum understanding of it, you have to have watched Breaking Bad first. And to a much lesser degree, El Camino, but mostly Breaking Bad. And uh, and so in some ways, it feels less like a standalone show and more like a continuation of the story that we knew from, from Better Calls. Yeah. I'm sorry, from Breaking Bad. So our neighbor, Carter... This is like, for some reason, a deep beef with her. It's not like a trivial, like, oh, you might have to watch it in this order. Like, I think she feels like she was promised a prequel Mm -hmm. and that it would bring us up to this character who is willing to condone murder, but, you know, relatively light. You know, that in Breaking Bad, you don't feel like the moral weight of Saul Goodman's choices um, in the same way that you do in Better Call Saul. And so I think she... Her beef is that you can't actually watch it as a prequel. You have to watch it as both a prequel and sequel simultaneously. And I think this final episode makes that more clear than ever, because otherwise you really don't get why it's a big deal when Betsy Brandt walks in, for yeah, instance. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I was, I had chills when I saw it's, her. It's a great... And, you know, throughout, you know, this whole season, we've been talking about... Um, how some of the returns have felt very fan servicey, like Walt and Jesse come back. Like some of those scenes felt kind of unnecessary. Um, but having Betsy Brand come, first of all, did not see that coming at all. Same. Like, yeah. not a character I would like on our bingo card for what might happen this last episode. I, I did not predict that that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, I think that the decisions they made in this like final run of like five six episodes really feels like. Um, the timing is weird. It is both a prequel, a sidequel, and a sequel to Breaking Bad. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in some ways, sometimes, you know, he's off living his life in Omaha, you know, pulling heists and running the Cinnabon, and you feel like the only continuity is that we know this is the same character, but the events of Breaking Bad seem irrelevant. And the events of Breaking Bad become so incredibly directly relevant in this episode in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we're introducing new characters like Carol Burnett with four episodes to go. And she has like a three episode arc. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I, it, it does not quote unquote bother me that it's both a prequel and a sequel, but it is an unusual decision. And I think the parallel that you made was that it's sort of like Star Wars. 
Like you theoretically could watch episode one straight through to episode nine, but it actually wouldn't make any sense if you weren't. It wouldn't make as much sense because I remember. Of- I remember vividly when I was in high school. Like uh, a friend of mine was like, "Hey, I've never seen any Star Wars movies. Can I start with episode one?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course, that makes sense." And then it's like, "What? What is the Force? What are midichlorians? Like none of that's the, well, they explain midichlorians, but like they don't explain like a lot of the foundational stuff about the universe that they did in Star Wars Episode Four. Um, and so you would think, like, when you start watching this, you're like, oh, yeah, it, it, it all makes sense. And actually, for large parts of it, it does. Like, you don't need Breaking Bad for large parts of it. Yeah, for probably 80 to 90% of it. But for some of the emotion to make sense, yeah, and which then, is what sticks with and me. And then definitely for this final season, like, I, I, I think this final season really taxes the understanding of the show as a standalone show. So, um, would not recommend watching Better Call Saul without watching Breaking Bad first. Well, I think, for whatever it's worth, they try. They try because they introduce Walton Jesse and they show him, they show them literally, you know, dragging him out to the desert and putting him in front of the open grave. And then he references that several times explicitly. So, you know, it's. Yeah, yeah but, but this, this episode hinges on Saul coming clean about what he actually, his actual involvement with uh, Walton Jesse. And you don't have any frame of reference for that unless you've seen Breaking Bad. Right, so like, no, but you, you do, again, it's there. It's a light touch, but like, <laughs> it's when Mike is saying, leave the sky alone, the guy who makes the blue math, and then the camera, like, kind of goes in on Saul, and you can see his wheels are spinning, mm-hmm. and you can see he's going to go to the high school. You don't know yeah, that yeah, it yeah. ties directly to a breaking bat. I mean, I, I think it's I there. see. I see what you're saying, yeah. So yeah, basically, yeah. it's not... Unfortunately, it means it sort of serves a little bit as an exposition dump for this final (laughs) episode Mm -hmm. to have gone back and done those things. And when they're trying to explain who is Hank Schrader and the fact that he let, like Steve Gomez had left behind like a wife and three kids, like that also feels a little exposition dumpy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is um, to help those of us who are not incredibly fresh on all the Breaking Bad stuff. I was reading um, Ellen Seppenwall's interview with, uh, Peter Gould, one of the, the, I think the guy who wrote the original Better Call Saul episode uh, in Breaking Bad, and also the, one of the creators of the show. And something that Peter Gould said was like, the, the question that this show is trying to answer is, what does becoming Saul Goodman solve? Like, wh- why is that act important for Jimmy McGill? And I think that's kind of the, the question they tried to answer with the show. In Breaking Bad, he says, you know, he he became Saul Goodman because he wanted to come off as uh, Jewish and theoretically a more trustworthy lawyer. That's kind of my recollection of. of I don't uh, think it was trustworthy. Um, it was a more sort of high flying. You know. Sure, just somebody who might appeal more to his target clientele, basically, and uh, and it's kind of like an offhanded statement, right? Um, but I think they're like, wait, why? Why would someone like? I, I think. The showrunners are like, hey, if we dig deeper, is there another reason? And the other reason, of course, we find out what it is in the show is like as an elaborate coping mechanism to deal with his the, the tragedies of the life that happened before the Breaking Bad events occurred, right? Um, and, and and because he's always had some large-ish side of him that is like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, also true, but like not like amped up as much as that necessarily. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, Walter White calls him on it in this episode. He says, right. so you've always been, you've always been way. like this. You've always been like this. So, okay. Um, and, and any other thoughts on like the show as a whole, like overall, I have found it to, uh, 
be like a, a great ride, a, a show that I felt was really kind of finding itself in the first two, three seasons, and then really came into in, its own in seasons four, five, and six. Um, and introduce like it, it got out of the prequel trap by like introducing characters uh, that we had not met in Breaking Bad and making us emotionally invested in them. Um, and and I also love that it kind of. You know, it basically pulls like the Rogue One situation multiple, like it uses kind of the Rogue One template in many ways, which is the prequel to Star Wars, where like, um, again, introducing a bunch of new characters that it makes you care about and also like explains how some of the things got to where they were in the thing that we already know. Um, in this case, the Super Lab, like a whole, like multi-season arc about the Super Lab, uh, which ended up being really interesting and compelling in my opinion. Um, so I... Uh, overall, I think the show was a was a success, and I'm a big fan. I think the show it feels like a blank check show. I know it wasn't literally, but you know, there's like three seasons that are about Chuck, and I really didn't even think we would see Chuck again. I was happy to see Chuck again, but it, feel, it felt like a different show after Chuck died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. It wasn't a Kim and Jimmy show exactly at the beginning, and I think by the end, it definitely became one. Like this is like a not a Romeo and Juliet situation, but like a star-crossed lover situation. Um, And so I, I feel that the show was actually quite a meandering um, journey through relatively interesting places. Does that make it like hang together as a masterpiece? Maybe, maybe there's like enough there for it to be so. But this is actually why I really appreciated the time machine structure of this final episode. And to some extent, how much they play with time in the final four, they're just moving back and forth in time and seeing different people. And it's thematically relevant and resonant. Um, without really necessarily needing to be from a plot perspective. And that feels like their thesis statement for what the show is and why these are all one show mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you can agree with that or not, but I thought, do you know what I mean? The, all the sort of jumps to see just Mike, a mm-hmm. jump to see mm-hmm. just Walter White, a jump to see just Chuck. Yeah. I think you're right about like the meandering nature of it, though. I, I remember we were talking, uh, or we were listening to the Ray Seahorn interview, and basically she said like, the day that um, the the production designer talked to her about like what her apartment might look like in the show, she cried because she knew that meant that they weren't killing off her character and that she would still have a job. Um, so like, y- y- there was basically like a significant period of time where like they didn't know if Kim would be a big part of the show, and, and obviously she became like the most important character of the show. I would argue, um, and so. It definitely took some time to find itself, but I think once it did, like these last, most of the last couple seasons have felt like they're barreling towards like an inevitable conclusion. These last four episodes, a little bit short circuited that because of the time jumps and all that stuff. But like overall, it's just gotten so dark as every one of these characters has died one by one. Um, specifically, or, you know, they're marked for death in the future. So yeah, specifically Nacho, Lalo, and then yes, Mike marked for death in the future, and Howard Hamlin, uh, and Howard Hamlin, and yes. Gus Fring's going to get blown up. <laughs> yeah, and Gus Fring's going to get blown and up. And Hector Solomon is dead, yeah. and so is Don Eladio. They're all dead. They're all and dead. there was an open question as to whether Saul would die. You know, are, are, is um, is Jimmy McGill going to be dead? Is Kim going to be dead? You know, so like there's this, there's kind of like death hanging over just like the last um, five six episodes, and 
And so it started as this kind of like very meandering, oh, hey, we're touring like elements of the Heisenberg universe, blah, blah, blah. And then like it kind of, once like things snapped into place with Kim and Jimmy, it felt like it was really kind of going in a, in a solid direction for the final couple seasons, last four episodes excluded. So anyway. So I have to say, because it's a meander, mm-hmm. if at the end what we got was like a little, you know, in, in oratory, you know, or if they're teaching you how to do like um, speaking, mm-hmm. they tell you, you know, like, tell people what you're going to tell them. Yeah. Then tell them the things. And, and then, then tell, them what, you, tell so, them what you told them. So this pe- this felt like, okay, we got to the end and we're going to like repeat all the main index cards, you know, that we hit up mm-hmm. until now. <laughs> and yet, tonally, where I really thought it was going to go is like, Gene Takovic bleeding out with his blood spreading, his black blood spreading in the white Nebraska snow as the drone sort of pulls back and it's an overhead shot. Like very Coen Brothers mm-hmm. is where it really felt to me like it was headed. Mm-hmm. So um, an enormous amount of ground was covered in this 60, 70 minutes, I guess yeah, it was. Yeah, it was around 70 minutes, yeah. Um, I will say, if we can just do a quick shout out that you had a listener who predicted many of these beats. Um, and I was truly shocked, um, in a sort of pregame Twitter space. Um, I did a Twitter space before the episode began and we just kind of hung out with a bunch of people and like predicted what was going to happen. And a listener named Ethan, uh, or Ethan visuals on Twitter basically, uh, predicted almost exactly how the series would end, like literally down to the shot how it would end, which is really impressive. You can actually go listen to it if you go to my Twitter right now. But yeah. And I um, was like, oh, a trial. They're not going to have time for a trial. Well, they didn't have a trial. They had a a sentencing hearing, which is a lot faster, you know. And um, I I thought Ethan had a great idea because I like, I thought this artifice would bring everyone together into the same room, which feels important. Like Gene slash Saul slash Jimmy hasn't seen Kim in person in six years. Mm-hmm. So are we really going to leave it with a phone call? Like they'll never be in the same place. I just didn't think that they would necessarily go there. Now I think there are trade-offs made in getting everybody together <laughs> and allowing Jimmy for some reason to not only represent himself, which I'm pretty sure you shouldn't do. I, he's got to be disbarred, right? Um, and you, you can represent yourself even if you're not, you're not a lawyer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and he, uh, I'll just put that in my back pocket for the next time. <laughs> I'm in terrible legal trouble with the feds. Um, and he, um, you know, is given an absurd amount of time to speak about things that aren't even related to the matter at hand. But, um, you know, for it serves the narrative and it is sort of emotionally satisfying. So, yeah, I, I kind of, let, let's get to it in a little bit. But first, we got to start with like where this episode began, which is kind of Gene getting apprehended and Mike. Uh, oh, yeah, the, 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 the Mike Ehrman trust. So, there's uh, why don't we just talk about those all right now? So, there's three different flashbacks. Yes. There's the Mike Ehrmantraut flashback, there's the Walter White flashback, and there's the Chuck flashback, right? Um, and each of them, first of all, I felt okay about these flashbacks. I, 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 I thought they were, you know, certainly not bad. Like, when Walt and Jesse showed up, you and I were, like, kind of groaning at some of the ways that was implemented. I, I thought this was completely fine. Um, was it Was it necessary? I don't know. I think it's meant to illustrate that, like, um, at every stage of his life, right? In the, you know, 
uh, last season. I think season five was when the Bagman episode occurred, right? And there's like little touches of that in this episode. Um, in during the Breaking Bad timeline, during early on, it's like around pre season one of Better Call Saul, I think. It felt um, like between season one and season two because he's become a lawyer. Mm, uh, yeah, I think it was pre season one though, um, because I think the Financial Times was a reference to something that happened before. Or, you know, so it's yeah. early. It's early, yeah. And I think the idea is to illustrate the um, kind of how he has found himself stuck in um, a si- like similar binds in, uh, across time, and also um, like how he has at every instance, every inflection point, made uh, bad choices, right, or the wrong choice. Um, and, and also has been kind of like unwilling to face that. Um, that's kind of my reaction when I think, when I think of these points in time, like the, uh, with the exception of the Chuck one at the end, like him with Mike in the desert and him with Walter White, these are like calamitous situations that he's in, you know? And, um, in these situations, there doesn't seem to be that much retrospection, uh, or introspection, and even with the, the Chuck situation, there doesn't seem to be, be that I think introspection. That's actually the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Is like there's not much introspection, and like there's not much. Um, he he's like doomed to repeat his mistakes um, until the events of this episode. I don't. Okay, so I, I agree. I might just frame it slightly differently, which is I do think they're in that order for a reason. Um, so obviously with Mike, it's just to establish this idea of the time machine and, you know, like, here's what I would do yeah. with it. And um, it is unsurprising that the Jimmy we meet in the, that we have in the desert um, is unable to come up with any real regrets and is still sort of venally focused on money. And then we see um, with Walter White, it's hilarious. I mean, it really reminds you how funny Brian Cranston is in such a curmudgeonly and dark way when he's like, so you don't want to have a conversation about a time machine when it's just both physically and like theoretically impossible. You want to have a conversation about regret. And Jimmy doesn't even know he wants to have a mm-hmm. conversation about regret. That is how unself-aware he is. I, I love the Walter dialogue in this. It felt it very great. true to life, yes. like true to what we know of that character. Yes. Um, really beautiful kind of coda for that character. This felt worth bringing him back yes, for totally. versus the other couple instances I didn't feel yes. like as excited about. Agreed. Agreed. Earlier this season. <laughs> That, and that was my favorite one of the scenes, I think. Was, yes, by far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, the thing about Walt is he's such a fucking asshole, but he's also really smart and really perceptive and often right. And so he just sizes up Jimmy in like a heartbeat. He's like, you actually want to have a conversation about regret. Then the regret that Jimmy names is so self-serving and unfortunately gives away a different takeaway than the one he's trying to share. And Walt is like, you're like this. You're just fundamentally like this. And so it makes it really, which is part of the thesis of the show, is that Jimmy has this extremely strong tendency toward this behavior, Um, but also the lack of introspection, which makes it like ultra sad when after having given that courtroom speech in which he says, I could have done things differently. I could have tried harder mm-hmm. with my brother. You know, Chuck says, do you want to stay and talk? 
Yes. It's, it's okay if you want to do things a little differently. And Jimmy says, I'm good. I got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it had real pathos in it for me. So I, I appreciated yeah. that three scene mm-hmm. little unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Um, and, and it felt and like, like stellar actors, right? Yes. Like what a pleasure to just watch them all. Yeah. And it's, it's, it felt like it was bringing them back for re- like reasons that were thematically resonant with the show. It wasn't just like, hey, hey, look, pointing and look, look, it's Mike, er- Mike Emmerich back again. You know, like it's like, hey, we're going to use these characteristics and like uh, storylines you are aware of to try to illustrate um, something a little bit deeper or to remind you of points that we've made through the show. We're kind of this is the big closing argument of the show, basically, right, so to speak. Well, um, it's also that like. Mike is capable of having regret. He has real regret. I think the first date he mentions of 2001 has something to do with his son Mm. getting killed. And then he's like, no, no, I take it back. And he doesn't even say what was the reason for that first date. Mm -hmm. But then he gives this other date, which is the day he took his first bribe. And I think Mike is able to peel back in time. When did I really go on to bad choice road? Mm -hmm. It wasn't the outcome. It was my shitty choice in the first place that cascaded into all these other ones Mm -hmm. and put me on this slippery slope. And then even Walt is capable of some amount of introspection. I mean, he doesn't, he's very prideful, you know, so his version of it, of course, is like, I would have just taken what was mine earlier, um, but then I wouldn't have had to cook math and I wouldn't be in this Yeah, situation. and he's like, well, they they expertly maneuvered me out of my company. And it's yeah, like, really? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean, he's know, a very, he's a blamey guy. Very self-delusional, yeah. Um, but... But he is, I think he's actually still right, though, like that if he had gotten rich in that way, that he probably wouldn't have ended Mm -hmm. up in this situation. Um, And then, you know, the thing with Chuck is like Chuck is, Chuck sees Jimmy both accurately and inaccurately, you know, and that's the problem. You know, he sees him as a loser and a screw up, but also as a good guy, but also like can't stand to see him succeed and the jealousy, you know. I think a lot of that is freighted onto that final scene they have together. And, and, and did you notice he was shot in a very like skeletal looking way? Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah, was, because it was he's, because he's illuminated by a lamplight, but yes. No, but, so but no, I agree. In, I agree. In the same shots. I yeah. think Jimmy does not look as skeletal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, it's kind of a low angled light coming up to him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's haunting because, you know, not only is he going to die, he's going to die from one of those lamps, you mm-hmm. know, when he sets his own house on mm-hmm. fire. So, um, anyway, that that stuff really worked for me, maybe even more than it did for you. Mm, yeah, I think so, probably. Um, so Gene's on the run. Um, he gets the diamonds from his house, uh, <laughs> which it's pretty hilarious that like they put in this idea of diamonds in I don't know season one of Better Call Saul. And the payoff for the diamonds after six, seven years is he spilled them on the floor of a dumpster and like looking for them. And that's probably what got him caught. Um, I did love the whole sequence and like those phone. If you have a burner phone in a in a box, you got to open that box, man. You know, find some time to open that box while you're on the run. Don't wait until you need to keep quiet because otherwise you're going to knock over all your diamonds. That's what I keep telling people. And, you know? and grunt so loud that the cops find you in the dumpster. Yeah. It was a shocking moment when he's apprehended because we're like, wow, this is... I didn't think that was going to... I thought when he was... The diamonds are like literally slipping through his fingers, you know, and, mm-hmm. and falling out of his grasp, that it was going to be one of these situations where the comeuppance is that he had amassed all these millions, but it's all literally slipped through his hands and he has nothing left mm-hmm. and he will just be a broken, right, resourceless regular or worse than regular person again. Um, and 
therefore, also it seemed like a pretty solid place to hide in the dumpster. Um, so I really didn't think um, they had faked us with the Hoover extraction speech. Um, During the, the previous, last, yeah, yes. the last next so time. So I, I really did think he would manage to call and get extracted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, all those uh, coming, like, next time on previews have been really subversive of what we thought, huh? Um, you were right. And this time, um, you know, we saw the vehicle he crashed in the desert during the Bagman episode, and then he, like, he was, like, talking, trying to get an extraction, and it's like, they're completely unrelated scenes, basically, <laughs> uh, in this episode. So, uh, all the next time on previews were, like, so well done in this last run. I, I really loved them all. Um, okay. So then he's in jail. He get, he gets the old DA back, or the I'm sorry, um, was it a DA? ADA? Well, I, like, I think there's like a moment where he really hits bottom, and then he sees on the wall, "My lawyer's gonna ream you," mm-hmm. or what, it, what? Is that what it said? Uh, "My lawyer's gonna ream your ass." I think. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, and he starts laughing maniacally. It's an incredible scene. It is, and yeah. you know they spell lawyer L A W Y R. I think, which reminded me of the lawyer up. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. license plate he has, the vanity plate in New Mexico. Um, and so I really felt that it, it was so earned that we were going to have one last showtime show in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. for him. I did not feel like when we had to do the one last heist through the department store Mm -hmm. that I was like, ooh, just what I was looking for, the one last this kind of heist. Exactly. Um, So this really felt thematically more correct for the show. Also more believable that his... He is so up against the wall that he is about to just like bloody himself, throwing himself against the cell door. And then he's like, that's right. I'm a lawyer and I can ream these people. Right, right. And... Um, and as a viewer, it's like there's, there's pleasure in watching it being like, how is he going to get himself out of this one? You know, and uh, and of course, he does that by being an exceptional storyteller, you know, um, which we see. But uh, so great performance by Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Odenkirk has done amazing throughout the whole season, but like uh, throughout the whole series. But I really love that scene when he's just sitting there on the ground. The camera just holds in like one long continuous shot where he's just like laughing and like realizing the absurdity of his situation, you know, all of his regrets, all of the chickens coming home to roost, like, he got himself in this terrible situation. Like, there, there's no reason he needed to be in this case. Like, he was already, in, a, you know, having a nice Cinnabon life, so... It wasn't that nice, but yeah, <laughs> nice-ish. So, then, uh, there's this cool scene in, like, a really cool-looking room, almost like a... The war room from uh, Doctor Strangelove, uh, kind of except rectangular, but it's basically like you know him and his um, buddy from uh, Bill Oakley. Bill Oakley, right? His poor advisory council, yeah. quote unquote. Do you think Bill Oakley's getting paid? I have no. a feeling that those bills are not. He's taking get. this as a pro bono case. He's doing it just for the publicity alone. I, so. Why would you want the publicity of failing? And uh, and then like a whole team of like government lawyers behind the thing, and then uh, and like we see when he's walking into the room, like he passes, um, uh, Hank Crater's wife, right? Um, you clocked her before I did, yeah, because you see her through bars, I think, at first, or through a window, and or I something. think she's like in three quarter profile or something. But yeah. you were like, it's Marie, yeah, it's Marie, and I was really excited because I'm like, um. Uh, this is actually you know uh throughout the season you and i have have talked about how like some of the cameo specifically the the walt and jesse cameo like 
the first one and the second Jesse cameo like felt a little bit unnecessary and a little bit fan servicey. Like what was the, re- was that really important to have those characters play those roles? Um, I was excited because I felt like Marie didn't get a good ending in Breaking Bad. Um, I believe the last time we see her is in the series finale when she's warning Skylar. Yes. Uh, like he's in town. He's in town. Like, yeah. you know, watch your ass basically. And, um, that always felt like a fairly kind of, you know, they had a lot of stuff to do in the finale. So like, I understood why, like they couldn't take more time with like, um, I kind of thought Marie's character got a raw deal throughout, throughout the, the show. Yeah. Show. She was like, you remember when there, she was like a kleptomaniac at one point, like that was a whole thing. Um, so I was stunned that they brought her back and I'm like, Oh, is it just going to be like, we see her through the thing and then like, that's it. But no, she comes in the room it's like really amazing when she walks in and like everyone stands up. It's like yeah, haunting, you know? I agree. I'm like emotional just thinking about it. Yeah, it's a great moment. And then, you know, they have their confrontation. And it's really interesting because um, what Better Call Saul shows, the show demonstrates like, yeah, Hank and Saul knew each other, right? Like, and so it gives, and yes, like Saul is probably not, totally responsible for Hank's death, but he's like the only one left, right? He's the only one left to assign any responsibility to. And only because we know off camera that Jesse Pinkman's in Alaska. Right. Right. Um, but, but he's probably second most morally culpable of the people. Yeah. Between, between him, between him, Walt and Jesse, He's the second most morally yeah. culpable Setting person. aside the Gus Fring and the cartel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, um, Marie, like, going head-to-head against Saul, it's like, all right. Like, there, you know, uh, Marie would definitely have reason to be upset, but it's like, he, Saul was only kind of tangentially involved in Hank's death, as far as I recall, you know, like... Um, but it does make sense, like, from a legal perspective. Like, in reality, if this situation occurred, yes, of course, Marie would want to be there when they got one of the last two people who was known to be alive uh, in the situation. Um, specifically, Saul and, and Jesse are the only two people left alive from the Breaking Bad stuff. So, uh, I, I thought it was, I, I, I I thought it was it. great. I thought it was great. Like, I loved it because I have been feeling the absence of Saul Goodman, the character, from this show called Better Call Saul. <laughs> We see a lot of Jimmy. Yeah. We see him kind of become Saul, but we don't really spend time with him as Saul. Mm-hmm. Even pre-Breaking Bad, he's Saul. Yeah, we spend more time with him as Gene Takovic than Saul. Exactly, yeah. in which he's like repressing his Saulness, And even when he becomes, you know, so to see him just be, you know, the facial hair is gone. Mm-hmm. He looks more like Saul, even though he's in a prison jumpsuit. He, to see these two characters come back from Breaking Bad, Saul and Marie. Yeah. And face off against each other, I thought was incredibly powerful, both in the moment, because he has a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because I got to see him and and spend that sort of same thrilling ride you have in Breaking Bad, I'm guessing what he's doing, I'm guessing what he's up to, I'm not sure how much he believes what he's at, you know, saying at any given moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get to go on that whole ride together for the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes of the episode. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And I don't think that he really would have gotten only seven and a half years. <laughs> and also, someone tell me if I'm right, bluebell ice cream, is it 
available as far north as North Carolina because I lived in North Carolina and I grew up with Bluebell down in Louisiana. I think it's a Texas Louisiana thing. Mm. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. It is incredible and very affordable. Um, but uh, I think you'd have to have that stuff flown in if he was going to eat it in North Carolina. I thought the, 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 the Marie stuff really worked because obviously at the end of the day, Marie actually does get her justice, right? Like she actually does, like Saul does actually get sent to jail, you know? And so like she gets to see justice to some degree done. Um, and then it also serves to like illustrate, hey, this guy can tell a good story. And as he says, very coldly, all I need to do is persuade one juror. And you as the viewer believe he could do it, you know? Um, yes. So I understand why Saul wants Marie in the room. I don't really love, I, I do think she's given kind of an exposition dump. Of yes, stuff totally. To say, and that is not my favorite. So it's a better yeah. end for her, but it's still not great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she gets to like reckon with, you know, we saw her like weep over the death of Hank in that show, but like we really get to see kind of what has become of her. Um, and kind of, you know, uh, what she wants to fight for in this in this uh, era of her life. And um, I believe... Uh, she looks good, by the way. Yeah, she looks amazing. Um, I, I, this technically, I think, is less than one year since the end of the... Uh, since Hank's death, I believe, timeline-wise. So um, still very raw for her. Um, so then they, like, negotiate, and that's a great scene. And then, like, he realizes that Kim has uh, confessed or, like, come clean about everything. And uh, he hatches a plan to get Kim back in the room with him. The only way to do that is by threatening her livelihood. <laughs> so let's, let's, let me pause here. Yeah. Saul has just sold his way into an incredibly sweetheart plea deal. And then he realizes Kim has turned on him. I thought he was going to go in a darker direction. Mm-hmm. I, I well, I think, I think the show wants to make you think he's going to. Yes, and the guy I've spent the last several episodes with seems like a pretty dark guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's calling Kim at work, and he's like, I, I don't know, he doesn't... I feel like he makes an enormous amount of character um, progress in terms of his introspection. Mm-hmm. From that moment... Through the plane ride until the sentencing hearing? Well, it's been probably weeks since then, right? Because remember when he calls Kim is when he decides to then go on a series, like a huge crime spree? Yeah, that's my point, is that guy doesn't (laughs) cope with Mm -hmm. her betrayals, quote-unquote, very well. And like when she didn't tell him Lala was alive, he became this criminal lawyer Mm -hmm. so i just feel like it's not totally earned for me that there was like a thing underneath there that he really felt genuine remorse enough do you know what i mean like he says some very lovely things that just didn't quite ring believable for me in the courtroom i think if i'm to make the case for why it is believable it would be that like kim confessing to the to the con is like a red line for it's like a wake-up call red line for him in a way that like literally nothing else can be you know that when he learns that kim has confessed that is when he realizes like his one person who he thought he would always have something in common with like the love of these cons the love of the heist the thrill 
um, has finally come clean. Well, she has and, acted not in self-interest, and he only acts in self-interest. Right, exactly. And, and it's like, it's like a, a, a shock to the system. Like, this person who he still cares about, you know, um, has finally act in a way, acted in a way that, like, triggers him into, 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 like, a new round of introspection, right? Like, that's, that's the case for it. Now, Can I make the counter case? Yeah, go ahead. All this happens on the plane. Because he stops Bill on his way to the bathroom, finds out that, you know, she opened her up to the civil lawsuit and everything else. And then on in the time it takes Bill Oakley to pee or go number two, come back, he is like, hey, I'm going to say more things and I'm going to get myself. No, I don't I don't think I agree with your assessment of events. I think like all that happens in the aftermath of him being told in that meeting, like when he's told about the Kim stuff, he's like shook in the meeting. And I think that the dialogue with Bill Oakley is part of his elaborate plan to get Kim in the room. Okay. So I don't think he's, I don't think it's like an earnest conversation. He's having. It's either a few days or four minutes. He said, he spent a lot of time sitting in that cell thinking about his life. You know, um, Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he goes on trial, basically. Yeah. And Dewey Cox basically shows up and says, she went and rebuilt her life, but I'm the one who ran. Mm -hmm. Come on. Did you buy that? It's true. I, I, Did you I, buy that he would know that? I am disappointed in any show or movie or whatever who, that has a climactic scene hinging on a character get up, getting up in court and saying, you know, here's all the themes and the catharsis and everything. He and, loves yeah. Matlock. Isn't it a Matlock reference? Do you remember he like studies Matlock when he's uh, going to woo the seniors? Yeah, but it's just like, this is like, oh, this is highly, you know, people are like, this is highly unusual, but I'll allow it. You that know, is it's, exactly right. It's is so, that a Futurama reference? Yeah, it's a, you know, yeah, it's a reference to a parody of what these shows are. So like, it's it's a little bit theatric. Like I understood what they were going for, and it felt like they were trying to put like a square peg in, or an, a, a, a circular peg in an oval hole. Like okay, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. It's not quite terrible, but because it, it, it basically he he wants Kim to be there, so he's like set up this whole elaborate scheme to get her there, and he wants her to see that he's confessed not only to the Walter White stuff, but also all the other bullshit that like was in their past, specifically the Chuck stuff. And it, it's, it's a little bit comical when it's supposed to be like really profound when like Bill Oakley's like, wait, why did you confess to that other stuff? That wasn't even, that's not even a crime. Like, <laughs> And then Jimmy says, but it was. Mm-hmm. And again, it means some, I mean, here I am making fun of this scene, but it still means something to hear him say it. Yes, it's true. Even it's, though I don't fucking believe for a second that he would have said it in that it's a way little at bit, that time, it's a little and it's a little bit silly in terms of the staging. I think you know, like I, I, I like some of the references. You know, like the uh, exit sign. You know, that, that's a reference to like when Chuck was in that room. I think, and um, and I love the way that uh, Bob Odenkirk is framed in that scene. Like he's framed from below, and you see like the court lights. It's almost like he's on a stage. You know, and uh, he it's, says showtime. There's really nice touches to it, but. Um, yeah, it just felt a little bit silly. It felt, and the rest of the episode did not feel that it did not feel silly in my it opinion. It felt like just for that scene, fifty percent too much. Was there no other way for him to deliver that information? Mm-hmm. Could it? I know it probably wouldn't have been a letter. I know he's a you know I I, I get it yeah. I get it, but yeah, oval hole, yeah, oval hole uh, circular thing. Um, but whatever, it, it, it gets the message across. Like See, it, and this is the thing. They've done enough work that I wanted that outcome enough that I still got moved by it at the same time that I was like, come on. 
I wasn't really moved by that scene because it was a little bit silly. I was moved by like the ending with Kim. Like that stuff is really, really lovely. And we should point out, by the way, that Kim um, is volunteering at a like legal aid. Um, she's filing. Non-profit. She's doing what she used to do at the law firm. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, and so let's talk about the transition to prison. Mm-hmm. So he gets sentenced. Yes. We don't actually find out in that moment what he was sentenced to. Yeah. And I was dying. <laughs> uh huh. Um, so I figured it was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually, amazing transition cut to the giant, um, industrial dough mixer. And I thought we were jumping to Cinnabon timeline and I was like, holy crap, this time machine thing is like out of control um, because it was also black and white. Instead, he's working in the... Uh, no, no, actually, let me go back a little bit. There's the prison bus. Mm-hmm. Yep. What did you make of the prison bus scene? Um, I thought it was a little weird. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the idea of like these guys chanting Better Call Saul, right? Um, they obviously are celebrating this guy that he used to be. Um when he himself is like, I'm Jimmy, I'm not Saul. So, right? yeah, at the end of his sentencing hearing, he sits yeah. down and he's like, I'm Jimmy, it's McGill, I'm James McGill. Even though he had explicitly said he wanted to be called Saul Goodman, right? Yes. Yeah. And so he attempts to go by McGill in the prison system, but Saul is the thing that sticks because he's spent so much time building yes. that persona. It's inescapable. Yeah. I and it, and it makes be... sense that people would know him, too, because he has had all the commercials everywhere in Albuquerque. Right? I, I did think he might be in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was possible. Anything was possible in there. And um, then we get the industrial dough mixer. Right, right. Um, yeah. So, uh, did you want to make any comments about like the Kim volunteering storyline before we get to the, the conclusion of the series? I don't think so. Well, I think it's worth noting that basically like... You can't keep her down. You can't keep her pegged as a person who can't even decide whether she liked a restaurant or not. Well... We've been talking about the show, you know, um, this whole season, and you have not been happy with the amount of punishment that Kim Wexler has gotten because, like, everyone else who's done bad things on the show has basically been killed or, like, exiled. Um, And Kim is definitely, like, not a good person. And she's basically the only character, other than Jesse Pinkman, in the entire, like, Breaking Bad universe that gets like a redemptive arc and her redemptive arc is um, she's 
volunteering at the local nonprofit office, um, trying to do good for the world again. Regaining her old identity to an extent. Right. Um, but that's after she has come completely clean about all of her crimes, tried to clear Howard Hamlin's name, um, you know, lived in a self-imposed exile for year, for years. One year. Um, oh, no, years. You're right. Year, yeah, You're right. Years. Six years, probably. Yeah, because yeah, she was... Um, she had left during the Breaking Bad right, time. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, the, the the question for you, Joy, is after all of this, do you feel like Kim Wexler got the ending she deserved? You know, I've I've sat and thought about this. Like, why is everyone else more pro-Kim than I am? I think when people hurt other people for money, I get it. And I can predict where they're coming from, and I... Uh, to some extent, understand they have a value system where they value money for them over suffering for you. Um, what really scared me about Kim was that she seemed to do it for the thrill. Like she genuinely seemed to relish mm-hmm. the idea of the control slash delight slash, um, you know, kind of the smugness that it would give her. Like that, that con with Howard was so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. She was, you remember she was offered the job that she wanted, yeah. which was to do the pro bono work with staffing and everything. She didn't need to do this. It's not enough that I succeed. My enemies must fail, you know? Well, it, in fact, I think she was willing to have her enemies fail without her even succeeding, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it felt like that. And that is such a dark and scary place to me. That feels more nihilistic and more sadistic. Yeah. And so to me, it's not a sheer amount of suffering, but it's like, does she reckon with that? And I, m- maybe it's not clear to me. It's you, just never in the text. Really? You don't, you don't think her like weeping uncontrollably at the end of the last episode was like... I think her. she's like, oh, I did a really bad thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know that she knows why she did a really bad thing. She basically, at least in the text that you could say subtextually, mm-hmm. we get there. She says to Jimmy, I've got to leave because when we're together, people get hurt. I'm like, how about when you're together, you hurt people, Kim. You drove that train. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He didn't even want, you guys were having ice cream Sundays in room service, and he didn't come up with a giant plot to like ruin this person unnecessarily. Gaslight his widow. Yeah. I mean, I think that what the Kim storyline is in its totality is um, once you've done the unthinkable, um, there is a path to redemption, but it is a long painful unpleasant one and like it doesn't feel triumphant at the end that's that's kind of my like i don't feel like oh yeah kim she's she's doing everything's great now like she's like okay like this like she is she has paid penance and she is still paying it i i get that but like if she had just murdered the guy or even like drunk driving hit him you know like that maybe that would feel right maybe she had murdered him for money Mm -hmm. but she murdered him for fun you know i mean she or she put him in harm's way for fun she can tell herself some other version of it, but like that's no, I don't, I don't agree. It was just for fun. I, I think, I, I think it was. Fine. I think it's because like because she felt like he was deserving in some way, right? Because he was deserving because um, he looked at the her the wrong way, or you know, more likely that like you know he thought himself better than her and Jimmy, right? Like he was presumptuous. He's a little like, patronizing. Yeah, exactly. He has a Namaste license plate. You know, I'm sure you can get there yeah, in your yeah. self justification, but that's a pretty weak justification for what they did to her, him. And mm-hmm. I, um, I still think my reason is the right. You know, is that accurate again? Like in yeah. the in the text of the show, reason. And so I, you can say. 
she did enough penance. And separately, penance looks like forever. I agree with you, penance looks like forever. I don't think she did enough. Or that it was, it's not the quantity, it's like the quality of it, the texture. I, I, I don't know if I agree, you know? I we, think, don't, we don't have to. Yeah, I, I think like at the end of the day, she's like, she's greatly depowered you know like she you know she she uses her bar card to like <laughs> impersonate a lawyer to get to see jimmy at the end right um and uh and then she's gonna be volunteering at that place for the rest of her life and she'll never she, she'll be a shadow of her former self but she'll still be doing some good and that's all that's all you can expect in your redemption arc, you know, is like the, yeah. the punishment needs to fit the crime. So I just need to, it's all about bad choice road. That's yeah. what this show is about. People yeah. who keep making bad choice road. And then do they ever recognize themselves? It, like in some ways it's about people who have really terrible self-awareness. Like Chuck has terrible self-awareness. Jimmy has terrible self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Kim has terrible self-awareness. So Kim is aware she did a bad thing. Is she aware of the nature of her badness? I don't know that. It's an open question for me. And it's okay if you disagree that, you know, you think she got it or she had plenty of time while mindlessly updating the sprinkler brochure to, like, ruminate on it. Um, I I think it's 70% of the way there for me. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. We see Jimmy in jail. Uh, He... Is amazing at baking bread. He's got all those cinnamon that skills. That bread looks pretty good. Actually. Pretty good. And he was complaining about this uh, correctional facility earlier in the episode, but it looks like pretty sweet. I have to say. Well, so he said it's Gen Pop, and what I think what you get the sense is is that there's it's not just white collar criminals. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's the sense you also get from the bus. Yeah, the transfer yeah, bus. Yeah, seems fine. People seem to like him. Yeah, and it makes sense. Fist that bumping him. It would make sense that everyone like knows him and likes him because he's always like had that ability to to do that throughout his whole life. Yeah. So. And then he and Kim meet for one last time, um, smoke a cigarette in a very similar lighting situation. The cigarettes in color, um, and it's it, it's lovely. This is this is the last time they'll ever speak. Probably might be the one of the last times they ever speak. Um, and what what we are meant to take away is that Kim has like to some degree forgiven him for his crimes, right? Like that that she saw the display in court and was like okay, like, we, we can talk again, you know? Like, we can reconcile. And, like, this is kind of the reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think? I think you were very moved by this, right? Well, he confessed fully. hmm And in order to do that, he actually did something not in his self-interest. That is the whole point. Yeah. You know, and we've seen that Jimmy, at times, is capable of this. For instance, in the Sandpiper deal, there's a time where um, he has to confess that he actually was trying to get one of the um, plaintiffs to... Do you remember this? He sets up this elaborate con where he tries to like socially isolate one of the plaintiffs, and it goes a little too well. So in order to get her back in with her other folks at the senior center mm-hmm. he arranges to hold a chair yoga class and then be mic'd microphone the whole mm-hmm. time as leader go outside have a conversation with aaron from the law firm you know confess to the whole thing it was all me i was manipulating them so that way the seniors will like accept her back mm-hmm. and, so he's capable of these grand yes gestures where he throws himself on the fire and yeah. has to pay a price for it right yeah um but in this case it's pretty grand Um, And it is a darkly funny thing when, you know, he's like 86 years, but with good behavior. (laughs) Who knows? 
Who knows? Could be 35. I could be 99 when I get out of here. Yeah. Um, so I did find it moving. Um, I found it moving because actually they said so little and I, I thought so much was said with so little. Yeah. Like an acknowledgement of, Hey, you did, you know, you did the right thing for once. And like that has earned you some respect in my eyes, basically. Um, yeah. And just, it's a very intimate gesture to take like a cigarette yes. from somebody else or to light somebody else's cigarette. Yeah. And there's like that, there will always be this closeness between them, mm-hmm. despite all of the horrible things that have happened, the years that have passed, the bitterness of the divorce. It feels like the opposite of the interaction where they sign the divorce papers, where she's saying nothing and he is putting on a fake yeah. persona. Like this is their truer selves. Yeah. And they cannot ever actually successfully be together as these two truer selves, um, but they have a final moment of it. It really hit me when he walks into the door and he like sees her and they're together. Um, the full weight of the show hit me, you know, because uh, I think it was in season one, episode one, they're hanging out doing the smoking cigarette thing, you know, with the beam of light coming in from in the, the parking garage, garage, you know, yeah. and it's like, um, you feel the weight of what these characters have been through. Like the, the, the show has covered a pretty significant period of time um, from beginning to end. And, um, And I just felt the weight of like all that has transpired between these people, you know, like all the terrible, horrible things and, and, and the mild acts of redemption that have occurred to bring them to this point. Well, so like there's this time machine motif and, you know, there's the literal book that Chuck is reading, which has appeared a couple times throughout the season as well. Yeah. Um, so I've never read the HG Wells time machine. And so I, I'm going to assume it's pretty literally about <laughs> traveling in time That's in correct. the way that, um, Walt says it's impossible. Um, like I think they go to like key moments in history. Right. But I, um, there are other ways in which it's a time machine. It's a time machine when they lean against the wall and have the cigarette together mm-hmm. and they have this little moment. It's a time machine when he does the little pistols and yes. blowing them out at her. Um, you know, I think that, For me, the grander theme um, of these final episodes where you watch Kim brushing her teeth, you've watched Kim brush her teeth a million times before in other parts of the show, or where you watch him sitting alone, rewatching his old videos of himself at a different time, is that we live, A, we have a finite amount of time. Like Walter White is looking down at his watch and it's it's ticking, right? Um, and Walter White is dying. Um, we have a finite amount of time and the time machine is in our minds and memories all the time. And we carry this with us mm-hmm. throughout life. And it is not linear. It is actually extremely, extremely circular. <laughs> time is a flat circle. Um, and the way we go through life and um, how we experience it is really nonlinear. And I think these final this final episode in particular comes closest to me to having something to say about what Saul has carried with him to these final days. Yeah. Beautifully said. You mentioned the finger guns and like... That just broke my heart. The finger guns first appear, I think, at the end of season four when uh, he, he gives this extremely impassioned speech about Chuck and then she is moved by it 
and then she finds out it was all a lie. He's like, oh man, yeah, I, I did great in there, right? And then she's like just in complete and utter shock. Um, and he kind of does these finger guns. He doesn't blow on them, but he just does a finger. It's like, better call Saul. It's all good, man. It's all good, man. You know, like, and she's just like, what the fuck just happened? They reappear again at the end of season five yeah. when she is talking them into doing this Howard Hamlin prank. <laughs> um, and he says something along the lines of like, you couldn't, you know, like this would ruin Howard. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do that. Like, that's not you. That's not you, Kim. Uh, and she says, wouldn't I? She looks at him and she's like, wouldn't I? And it's like one of the most chilling things I've ever seen. And then she says, wait, Kim, you're joking, right? And then she turns around and gives him the finger guns. Um, and then this is the final appearance is like, he's doing the finger guns back at her. Yeah. Know? But it's like, he's so denuded. He's literally separated by two fences from yeah. her. Um, he like, can't ever let that persona go. It will always be that he's both Jimmy and Saul. Mm-hmm. And um, in that moment, he's both Jimmy and Saul. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beautiful ending and like the way it's shot you know you, you you see like a wide shot with like them really far apart like it must have taken a lot of work to get that shot to look like that they must have like scouted or they built a fence or whatever but it looks great and then just kind of like the way in which it shot it's like kind of this medium to wide shot um as she's walking away and it, it feels like incidental that he's gone like it's it's like oh she's walking away she's walking away and then boop he's like he's there for a second and then boop he's gone like Kaiser Soze. right he's just gone. Boop, and he's gone um and uh it's all gone it's all gone it's a, and it's a beautiful way to like you know it's it's not like um it's not at all like uh breaking bad you know i, I don't know if you recall it breaking bad i believe it was like a pulling upwards into the sky like while walter white lay bleeding out on the ground you know mm-hmm. um well is that the final shot versus jesse pinkman driving yeah i think i think i'm right about that i think you're right um and uh and, and so this is much more understated you know this is much more like um, hey, like they're in each other's lives, and then poop, they're gone, and maybe they'll never see each other again. You know. Um, but I, I love this because it this felt emotionally true to me. Yeah, you know yeah, that totally. like you might spend five years with someone, but there are like three or ten or twenty moments that you really remember and hold on to, not because they were the most emotionally heightened, but because they stick with you for whatever reason. It's very impressionistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, in their case, they've only seen each other a handful of times, mm-hmm. but that sort of incidental camera movement feels like that same thing. It is both incredibly momentous and incredibly not. All right. Any other thoughts on the episode? Well, while you're thinking of that question, uh, Alan Seppenwall ran through in his review all of the callbacks in this episode of the season to other elements of the show. Okay, as you read these, can we give ourselves points if we caught them? Um, Honor system. Sure, yeah. You want you can keep score for yourself, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, on the Better Call Saul end of things, we get to see the space blanket and other detritus from Bagman, with okay. the blanket doubling as another reminder of Chuck. Jimmy's suggestion to Mike that they split the $7 million, uh, $7 million recalls their discussion from the end of season one about why they didn't just hang on to the embezzled cash they took from the Kettlemans. Um, 
While hiding in the dumpster, Gene prepares to call Ed the disappearer, but gets busted by the Omaha PD before he can get one of his burner phones out of the cruel packaging. When he tells the judge about Chuck, the camera focuses on the courtroom's exit sign, much like the one that was such a memorable visual during Chuck and Jimmy's bar hearing in Chicanery. In Montrose, Jimmy gets to put his Cinnabon skills to use by baking bread in the prison kitchen, and he shows off the, the finger guns one more time as he and Kim are separated by two different fences. And from the Breaking Bad universe, we not only get to see Maria again, we get to see Steve. Go- uh, we finally see Steve Gomez's widow Blanca, whom he mentioned a few times in passing in both series. In court, Saul wears a ribbon on his suit that is almost certainly the blue memorial ribbon he began sporting in the wake of the plane crash while inadvertently caused at the end of Breaking Bad Season 2. Didn't catch that one. That was a cool one. I saw the ribbon, but yeah. And before labeling the gray matter situation as his greatest regret, Walt looks at the expensive tag hero Monaco chronograph watch Jesse gave him for his 51st birthday, perhaps silently understanding that what he did to Jesse uh, is far worse than whatever version of the Gretchen and Elliot story he is telling himself in the moment. So... Those are a bunch of the callbacks, and I wanted to read them out because I thought there's, there's a lot of callbacks. And also, Alan Seppenwall is really good at his job. So. Um, I think I caught 50 to 60% yeah. of those, but I will say I think the silver suit being Matlock is my own. Mm. Um, and it may not actually be accurate, but it's what it reminded <laughs> me of. Mm. Um, the silver suit that we don't actually see the color of. <laughs> well, we see it's pale and shiny. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Could be green. You don't know. Very pale green. Yeah, yeah, that is a, you know, hey, Saul has a lot of um, hashtag choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I'm left a little dissatisfied that we didn't see more of like, why does he have a chemical toilet and a panic room and mm-hmm. all this other stuff that yeah. there was a lot shown that I thought we'd come back to um, this season, especially, but you know, it's okay. I can like fill it in myself. Um, for another thing, like they see the veterinarian's book that has the vacuum cleaner in it and repair number. And we never... We understand it is important back in the Breaking Bad universe. Mm-hmm. It becomes important in this universe, but like it's never stated how they got the book exactly or mm-hmm. how they took over. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and there are a handful of characters it might have been nice to see, you know, but it, optional. Um, so I don't know. I have to really sit with it, but I, I think overall the finale worked really well for me. The penultimate episode worked really well for me. The couple episodes before that maybe worked less well for me and had a similar feeling to the early part of the season where we're really setting up the elaborate con with Howard. Like maybe this 13 episode final run could have been 10 episodes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it still landed in a good place. And that is a very, very, very hard thing to do. I think it was a bold move to introduce all these new characters in the last four episodes. Um Specifically, Carol Burnett and Pat Healy's characters, you know. Um, it reminds me of uh, The Sopranos' final season when, like, everyone in The Sopranos, like, creators have interesting relationships with their audiences. Because, like, the audiences want certain things, you know. In, in The Sopranos, they're like, we want more of the gang war. Like, what's going on with, like, the New Jersey and New York mafias? Like, what's going on? And, like, meanwhile... I think it was in season six, like really late on in the season, they introduced this entire new character. He's like this Asian friend that Jun- Uncle Junior has. Oh, in the um, in the mental mental asso- asylum or like yeah. a hospital or something they're in, the you know care unit or something they're in. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, why are you introducing you? You have like six episodes left to go. Why are you introducing a new character? It's it's it struck me as supremely confident. They're like. 
hey, we know I know what stories I want to tell. I know what I'm doing. Like, I don't give a fuck what you're looking for. Like, I just, I'm going to do what I want to do. Is that how you felt about this season? A little bit, yeah. Like, th- these last four episodes, like, it's like, why are we doing this heist in the freaking department store? Like, what is going, you know, and they're just like, you know what? Like, they had a story they wanted to tell, and they were going to tell it. And, you know, if you're not along for the ride, you know, it, it's not for you. But um, I did find it to be, like, shocking that they're introducing all these new like again the carol burnett the nippy like all that stuff like in because what we want as the audience is resolve the fucking stuff that we have spent the entire show building up to i actually think this is a i I disagree that it comes across it's it's a choice it's a strong choice but for me it doesn't come across as confident it comes across as i have an endpoint i know i need to get to Mm -hmm. and the amount of pacing is very uneven Mm -hmm. to get to that point and a lot of it is laying track to get to that point. But I could have used less heist planning and more Kim reckoning, you know, like mm-hmm, even yeah. by 20 minutes, like mm-hmm. it would have made a really big difference yeah. to me. Yeah. So if we got more Kim and less like, I mean, there's a whole episode dedicated to that heist, basically. Right. Um, Which uh, the department store. Yeah. Heist? The department store. Yeah. Heist, yeah. Or how about like this, like 360 rotating shot of like the makeup needed for the guy who's the judge to do the. So all the kids from community college <laughs> mm-hmm. who are now like 35 can come back. And, you know, it, it, it at times felt like it lagged in places mm-hmm. when I was. Well, that was like a send off for all those characters. Right. So that's, that's the thing. That's the send off for all those characters. I can justify it that way. You're talking about earlier in the season when they like are pulling off the Howard Hamlin heist, right? Yeah, but that all was part of the Howard Hamlin heist too. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm saying like, okay, I can understand it because you're like, hey, we're we're kind of giving a swan song to all these characters. You never see those characters again, so it's like all these characters that have been with us for the show, like we're going to give them the swan song. But it's like now you're introducing freaking new character, you know? Like it's bolt. It's the, bolt. The new characters bothered me less because if we're going to be in Nebraska time, we need new characters. Mm-hmm. Lest we forget, we spent all that time with Jim O'Hare for an episode. Yeah, the yeah. Same... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello and farewell. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, well, if, if you don't have any other further thoughts about the show. I, I may have, but go, go ahead. Well, what we could gonna... do a final Cinnabon check, speaking of Jim O'Hare. Okay, yeah, sure. In the episode that we spend all that time with Jim O'Hare, and it's, it's not only um, an elaborate heist, it is a heist centered on how long does it take someone to really enjoy a Cinnabon when they're kind of on the clock. The answer is three minutes and 40-something seconds. Well, today, we actually had the Cinnabon. and um, after- Like you actually went to a Cinnabon store, bought a Cinnabon, brought it back home, yes. and we ate it in celebration of the series finale of Better Call Saul. Yes, I basically... Um, did not personally eat the Cinnabon because I ate a vegan, gluten-free, slightly sadder alternative, but I put the Cinnabon icing on top to make it feel a little bit more Cinnabon-like, mm-hmm. and that icing is delicious. Um, I can now confidently say that even though I was certain no one could possibly eat that much Cinnabon in three minutes, um, I-, I think I could have eaten it in two minutes. Like, it was delicious, mm-hmm. and it really it goes down awfully easy. It tastes delicious, and then immediately you feel terrible about yourself. Immediately. Speak for yourself. You feel terrible about yourself. Um, but um, you learned a lot of things at the Cinnabon. Like you learned that uh, apparently the place where they shot all the Cinnabon scenes was in Georgia, right? Well, according to the Cinnabon store manager, yeah. who I struck up a conversation with, it's Cumberland, Georgia. And um, 
he had gone to that particular location for corporate training. So that's one mm. of the reasons he knew. Now, I'm not sure that's uh, Yeah, a- exactly according accurate. to according to like the Breaking Bad uh, the Better Call Saul commentary or a podcast, like they said like that it's now shut down, they had to rebuild it or something like that. Um, so maybe it's been, you know, in multiple locations over time, but you know, he seemed to personally have some sort of connection to the the, the main, you know, wellspring from which this Cinnabon yeah. um stuff has Sprung. I was not the first person of the day yes. to buy a multi-pack, and I was there at noon um, for a 6 p.m. show. Um, multi-pack so, in celebration of Yes, a lot of people, a lot of Better Call Saul fans buying Cinnabons today, which is amazing because I don't think you and I, you and I have like, you know, Carter, our, our room, uh, like neighbor, uh, watched the show as well as our friend Justin, but like, I don't think we know anyone else is watching Better Call Saul. So it's cool when like other people are out in the world watching Better Call Saul and buying Cinnabons. Yeah, he was saying some guy bought 12 of them. Because he was having a watch party. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there are 12 people in the same <laughs> geographic location that are all watching Better Call. I mean, that's great. But it's a little bit of a cult favorite show more mm-hmm. than it is a Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I learned some tactical things about a Cinnabon, such as you want to microwave it for 30 seconds, but do not put it in the oven, no matter what the packaging says. He and the cashier were both very serious. Yeah, about they're that. like, do not put it in the oven. Like, Just trust us. Yes. Um, As though there had been some kind of industrial yeah, she really oven made accident. This very grave, head shaking face at me. Do not feed them after midnight. Basically, is kind of the same warning of like, do not put cinnabuns in the oven. And then on the box cover itself, it says, "Do not refrigerate." Which I mean, it's made of cream cheese, the frosting. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with our leftover cinnabon mm-hmm. tonight. But that is a question for the cinnabon. The cinnabon. The cinnabon. Uh, material is designed to only be in, in what we call in the food industry the temperature danger zone, um, which is like basically like room temperature is the temperature danger zone. You know, is part of the temperature danger zone. Like you do not want to leave things at room temperature for too but long, cream unless it's a Cinnabon, um, which is obviously genetically engineered to survive when no other food is capable of surviving. Maybe life won't even be around, but the Cinnabon will still be there. <laughs> Cinnabons are the uh, baked treat equivalent of cockroaches, basically, I think is kind of what the thing is. It did occur to me, by the way, that like, um, he's like, you know, best case scenario, managing a Cinnabon. And of course they made that the whole plot line. Um, and it, it, it struck me that Omaha is not that far away from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a 12-hour drive, 13-hour drive, I think. Okay. Um, Meaning like that's not that far to go? Yeah, it's not that far to go. Like if, you really, if his face was really all over the place, you know, like Better Call Saul on TV, like he should have probably gone like six states away. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know if it's a matter of geographic distance <laughs> mm-hmm. so much as uh, unlikelihood. Fair enough. There is one other point I wanted to bring up about the show, by the way, um, which is that I'm glad they resolve the Gene Takovic stuff. You, you know, like, they could have easily not done that. Do you know what I'm saying? What? The show... Uh, sorry, not, not, not this season. Because, like, by this season, the Gene Takovic... There's too much Gene... But, 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 okay, first of all, I think in the entire show, until season six, we got maybe ten minutes of Gene Takovic. Ten minutes. Because I'm pretty sure I watched one of those compilations on YouTube that was like, here's all the Gene Takovic stuff. And it was like, I, could, I don't think it was more than 10 minutes long, right? So then we spent, I think, literally four or five episodes, right? In Gene Takovic time? Yeah, four. Um, and, uh, you know, like, 
They didn't have to do that. They could have just, they could have left it unresolved. They could have not even gone to that timeline. So Gene just never gets caught and we just never know what happens. We just never know what happens to Gene. Yeah, like that, that could have been the show. Um, and so I actually like that they decided to pay that off. QQ. Yes. How would we have resolved Kim and Jimmy then? The way they did it. They, they were willing to go to Breaking Bad timeline. In the show. Meaning, yeah. like, the way they did it means, like, the divorce. Yeah, the divorce. And, like, you know, they, they could have, rather than go to, uh, so this is the thing. This is the thing. They, they took, they spent four episodes in the post Breaking Bad timeline, right? Resolving the Gene Takovic stuff. How would you have felt if they used those four episodes in, like, the Breaking Bad timeline and we saw, like, his final confrontations with Kim and whatever, like that? You know, like, would that have been better? You know, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like because of the fact that they decided to resolve the Gene Takovic stuff, it's like, it really feels like the culmination of the Breaking Bad universe. And I think the, the showrunners have said, like, they think this is the end for the series. So that's the yeah. thing. I think it's the finale for both shows. Yes. And that's, yes. The th- that's you know, to Carter's, like, irk- she's irked by that, you know, but I actually think um, it feels just, it's very novel. Yeah, it feels satisfying to me. It feels and like if this so- is the way it ends, it's like, this is a good, solid ending for these two shows. Um, and the, again, it was not obvious. It's not obvious. Like they didn't, when they started it, they showed Gene Takovic, he's working in the, the cinema. They never had to go back to that. They never had to go back to that. But they said, they decided to keep going back to that. And they're like, wait a second, there's something here. And then they just decided to explore it more. And that's kind of like what they ended up with. And so that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, I have one more thought, but go ahead. What you're no, say. no, you're good. The other thing I wanted to say is like, uh, Saul's ending. And what does this say about the legal system? Throughout the entire show, the legal system has been um, something that has been wielded for people's own ends. Up until the last 20 minutes of this episode, he was like trying to like use his knowledge of the legal system to get out of being punished. And what the ending of the show posits is maybe at the end of the day, the legal system isn't so bad. No, because no? the legal system did nothing different. Only he changed. Mm-hmm. He chose to get himself sentenced to more. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but he wouldn't have even gotten there if it, it wasn't for no, the legal system. And, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so you you think that like you know the legal system remains fundamentally amoral uh, through the end of the series? Yes. Amoral. Like the, the, there is no like inherent goodness or justice in the legal to be found in the legal system. Like is that immoral? Well, I, I, I don't – basically that doesn't like fully resonate with how I think of the yeah. legal system. I think of the legal system as similar to all the other systems in our country, like the education system or the healthcare system or whatever, which is you can design it with a certain set of outcomes in mind. But because people have agency and people try to game the rules of anything, mm-hmm. um, individual super-powered actors who are – um, fueled not just by their hyperability, but also their extreme will will be able to shape it in some ways. And that was true of Chuck. That was true of Kim. And it's true of Jimmy. Got it. Yeah. Jimmy, so- Jimmy is able to get something that the judge says she has never seen in 22 years. <laughs> right. It's Jimmy's force right. of personality, but there could be a Jimmy of, you know, the one. Yeah, so, so, so I think, I think like fundamentally, like what we think the show is saying about the justice system, the legal system is like, um, it is a system that, like, the smartest people can manipulate to their own ends, right? Like all human systems. Like, like all human systems, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm speaking less of the legal system then and more about the Jimmy system, you know? <laughs> That's kind of what I guess I'm getting at, so. 
What um, are going to ha- what's going to happen to Cinnabon sales next week? I feel like they had <laughs> such a spike during the run mm-hmm, of this show. Like mm-hmm. the Cinnabon, I have gone to the trouble of looking at the Cinnabon social media accounts and it all the highest engagement tweets are about Better Call Saul mm-hmm. by a uh, like three orders of magnitude. Amazing. Um so, yeah, it's going to be back to just making puns about the caramel pecan bun and the mocha chilada <laughs> next week. A huge come down. Huge come down. Um, so at the end of the day, yeah, it was a great show. It was a great show, and I'm glad I got to experience it uh, week by week, and glad we got to watch uh, watch it together and talk about it together. And um, I feel it was worth my time. So you know, for me, like my favorite show of all time is very stereotypical, but it is The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that everything in The Wire is perfect, especially the when the stupid reporter shows up. But um, I was a former reporter, so I can say that. Um, I think the um, this show... So Breaking Bad, for me, like had a lot of things in common with The Wire. This show, because of its meandering nature, um, doesn't have the same sort of structural strength, um, and the complexity of the story it's telling is not quite the same, but it has enough especially character-driven conflict that feels like very, like people that I maybe don't even recognize from my own life, but I really truly believe existed, Mm -hmm. like Chuck, um, that I see sides of myself in or other fragments of other people in um, and pits them against each other in in dynamics that feel so real Mm -hmm. that that is what I'm left with is the emotion of watching these people both love and hurt each other yeah and i I think that is very powerful and that is an achievement all right i think that's a great place to end it uh at joy napping thanks so much for speaking with me today and for being your cinnabon mule yes thank you so much i really appreciate it that was great uh it was great and also my digestive system hates me for it and if you're listening to this all of my TV stuff is going to go at decodingtv.com from this Woo! point forward. Um, and some of it will go on the Decoding TV podcast. Some of it will go on a Castle Kings podcast. But decodingtv.com is where you can support me and the shows that I make. And so if you enjoyed this chat, uh, please consider supporting this enterprise at decodingtv.com. Become a paid subscriber. We'd really appreciate it. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks so much. See you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 